Welcome to Pivot Point, a podcast hosted by Liz Hart, Executive Director of Tailored for Success. In this podcast, we will explore stories of individuals who have made pivots to find and realize their personal passions. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Mark chapter 5, verse 34. This is the scripture verse at the end of the signature of Nicole O'Brien, founder of Ruth's Way for Women. Nicole is my guest today, and she founded Ruth's Way for Women, which is a faith-based recovery community focused on assisting women in recovery, women veterans, and homeless women. I have known Nicole for several years now, but really didn't know her story until we participated together on a panel discussion for ninth and 10th grade girls as part of Girls Inc. Eureka Summer Program. On this panel, Nicole spoke with such passion about starting Ruth's Way for women and how she came up with the name and even the color scheme. I knew immediately I wanted to share her story with you. Welcome and thank you for listening to Pivot Point Success is a Journey. Nicole made a pivot in her life after the pain of addiction caused her to realize that her life had become unmanageable. Her recovery process began in 2007 when she started a relationship with God. Then in 2014, she founded Roots Way for Women, an independent living, structured environment offering person-centered support to assist women in building their recovery capital. Nicole is a certified addiction recovery coach, recovery coach supervisor, and certified community health worker. One thing is for certain, from the founders that I've met along my journey since starting Tailored for Success, no one just wakes up one morning and decides to start a nonprofit. Um, no one wakes up in the morning and decides to start a for-profit business. It's a journey along which there are many twists and turns in the road. And so today I would like to ask you, Nicole, what were you doing before you started Ruth's Way? I was the jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I've worked as a legal secretary, a dental assistant, a, a um, union laborer. I've taught Taekwondo. I've been a chaplain at wow. the Salvation Army. I, a real estate agent, I've done quite a few things. I've worked in programs. I've worked in um, the community as outreach working with people who are active in addiction and mm. homeless. So, you know, I know when I started Taylor for Success, my whole background of, again, being a legal secretary and a paralegal and, um, and I tell people even, you know, selling Mary Kay at one point, you know, all kind of combined together to make me be able to um, start Taylor for Success and run it. And um, so just take us back a little bit as to, you know, if you don't mind sharing your own story of addiction and how you came to start Ruth's Way. Um, I, I struggled my entire life with low self-esteem and um, 
no confidence in myself at all, always felt insignificant. And so the natural path for me was to cover that up with alcohol, drugs, and men. So you're self-medicating, right? Yes. Yeah. So I, for many years, I struggled. I was able to put alcohol down for a while and for years at a time because I was connected with my children and doing healthy activities. But every time something went wrong in my life, alcohol was my go-to. So I was actually, I, I became a leader in my church and they asked me to stop. They said, well, you know, leaders can't drink in the church. They have to be a role model for the parishioners. And I thought, well, I drink alone anyway, so no one's ever going to know. So (laughs) no worries there. Um, And then, so I had stopped drinking for a while and I was bringing the women from a program to a meeting and at the meeting, it just hit really hit home. Mm. And then a couple of weeks later, I brought them to another meeting and I turned around to, after the meeting to one of the women who in the program, I says, wow, I think I'm an alcoholic. Oh, so you were bringing them to an AA meeting. I was, um, yes, I'm sorry. Oh, I was no, that's okay. AA meeting. And the woman turned around to me. She was the sassy thing. And she turned around. She says, well, you think? <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess, I guess I'm the last to know. Right. Um, because I always had, you know, if I put down a drink, I picked up exercising. I picked up food. Yeah. I picked up a relationship. It was all my children. Mm-hmm. It was always something else to um, consume. Right. Me. Right. And so it, it, I was, my recovery started a full year before I put alcohol down. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And so and I'm also a recovery coach. Yeah. So when people, when people say, you know, I'm in recovery, they may not be using drugs, but still drinking, mm. you know, they, that's part of their recovery process. So it's, it's never, well, I mean, I'm sure and it's different from each person. Um, you know, some people have like a full stop and that's it. And then they, they go into, you know, uh, treatment and recovery and it's, and it's always a day by day thing that, you know, but then some people, you know, like yourself, it just takes a while for you to even realize that you might even have a problem. And so when you thought about starting Roots, so were you a recovery coach before you started Roots Way? No, I was working in a program and it was a a residential program. And the women, when they left the program, there was no safe quality housing for them to Mm -hmm. go to. And it was so upsetting and disturbing to me. I really wanted for years, I wanted to do something just because I didn't know, I felt compelled to do something and I felt the Lord speak to me and tell me that this is something I had to do. Mm. I'm a really good number two. I'm like a really good assistant. (laughs) Yeah. I never wanted to run anything, especially a business. Mm. Never, I just, it never crossed my mind. You could run the business and you tell me what you want me to do and I'll get it done. Right, right. Right. Um, it is, it's a total shift in, in mindset. And, um, you know, people think that, and when you are compelled to do something, 
you know, I think, um, especially if you're spiritual, like we are, it's like, you know, that somehow God will make a way somehow. And I like, um, at the bottom of your signature, you have the scripture from Mark five thirty four. daughter, your faith made you go well, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I love that. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's very telling about the person that you are. And I think that when you start a business or you start, you know, a, a for-profit or a non-profit, you, you have to kind of step out in faith that this is going to work. And, you know, most businesses, you know, after a year or two, they fail. And um, it, in how long has um, Ruth's Way been operating? Six years this month. That's great. That it's, you beat the odds in terms yeah. of you know the rate of nonprofits starting and, and, and closing, and you know you you ought to be congratulated about that. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got the name for Ruth's Way for Women. So Ruth is a woman in the Bible who helped another woman just because it was the right thing to do, and I loved mm. that she she supported the other woman and yet she took direction from her too because she knew that the woman was level-headed she mm. you know in like that connection of a woman helping another woman just because it's the right thing to do yeah like really inspired me so that was her way mm -hmm. her way was to to take direction and be supportive and encourage another woman and help each other out to get to a, a better place. So that was her way. So the our legal name is Ruth's Way, mm -hmm. Inc. And then when I went to start our website, there's another Ruth's Way in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, so we, that's how we got the name Ruth's Way for Women. women. Okay, cool. And um, talk about the um, the color purple and what it, the significance of that. So the color purple in biblical times represents royalty. Mm. And I, one of the goals, the, the scripture that you read it from Mark, that's what our entire nonprofit is based on. It's not just our tagline. That's what the nonprofit in our sober home is based on. So we want, we want women to recognize their value. Mm that they have value, value and that they are and as as a child of god we're part of the royal family mm -hmm. so we hope we don't um we don't push jesus on anyone but we hope that through power of example yeah in being exposed to jesus and the word of god that they people will be interested and seek god mm -hmm. and become part of that royal family and that they they really find their value and know that they matter their lives matter and that that they're loved unconditionally mm -hmm. and i'm sure by the time they reach ruth's way their self-esteem is probably non-existent and people have told them that they'll never make anything of themselves and i know that you you pride yourself on having in a structured family environment and so talk about you know the the program that the women go through um are they are they there for a certain amount of time or is it un, until they're ready to leave so the women can stay as long as they feel that they need to be there 
as long as they're abiding by our house standards, our policies mm -hmm. and procedures, they can stay as long as they need. We've had women stay as long as 24 months, I'm sorry, 25 months. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had a woman who was asked to leave after eight hours. She came in at eight o'clock in the morning. She was drunk by four o'clock mm -hmm. in the afternoon. Yeah. So we helped her get into a detox. But the women, we operate, we promote our house as independent living in a structured family environment. Mm. Some of the women have never had structure in their, in their entire lives. They have the generations of um, addiction in their families. Other people have, have been very successful in their lives. We've had attorneys, we've had um, nurses, we've had uh, a physician's assistant. So they've had structure, but somehow there was a point where the alcohol or the drugs changed from something that was pleasurable to something that was destructive in their lives. So providing this structure and holding women accountable to the structure helps them to find security mm -hmm. because when you don't know what to expect and you know today this is good tomorrow that's bad it it causes an anxiety in people and having that structure just helps them to feel more secure safe and allows them to be vulnerable with themselves and the other women in the house so that they have that opportunity to heal mm. and to seek recovery and take a look at the trauma that they that they have sometimes from childhood. Wow. And so do you have medical professionals on staff or do you refer them to programs for um, for trauma? Um, it's, because Ruthway is a recovery house, which is different from a sober home. Is that correct? No, we are a sober home. We are a sober home. Which is different from recovery homes. Okay. Recovery homes in, Mass in the state of Massachusetts are um, like, three-quarter houses or halfway houses. They're okay. more programs. Sober homes are independent living. Mm, okay. And we, are, we run a little differently than some other sober homes as we provide a lot of structure. We have mandatory weekly house meetings. Mm. Um, they have to, we have two weekly uh, urine analysis okay. compliance testing. We have a monthly, well, not during COVID, but we yeah. typically have a monthly life skills night, which mm -hmm. you, we've had the pleasure of you coming in yeah. and supporting us there and educating women. So we try to make it as family-like as possible so that the women can just breathe. I have a special place in my heart for women veterans. And, you know, when they separate from the military, some of them have no place to go. They can't find work. And you know, they're suffering from MST and, you know, all kinds of trauma. And it's wonderful to have a place that's just for women, because I think it is empowering women getting together and women helping other women. Um, I'm so glad you said that. Since COVID started and all the AANA meetings, smart recovery meetings have closed down, we've been doing in-house meetings every night of the week. Uh, Some women are required to do a meeting every day mm -hmm. other because they're not working full-time. They may only be working part-time. And others are required to do a minimum of three meetings per week. But since COVID, 
we have we do these meetings every night and the women have become so close wow because now they're forced to be vulnerable with each other instead of you know running by one another hi how are you oh do you want to go to a meeting tonight oh no you're busy okay catch you next right i wonder will will this um i know with my own organization we've we've pivoted from in in person workshops to virtual and you know at this point i can't see us going back but do you think that you'll start to have your meetings there at the house to build that bond with the women or will you still let them let it be up to them whether or not they you know have their meetings outside or inside the house well some meetings are opening up okay they're all outside most of them are outside meetings Mm -hmm. but we we spoke about it in the house meeting and the women and i gave them a couple of options to see how they what they felt and most of the women stated that they wanted to keep at least four or five meetings in-house. Oh, great. And then two or three outside. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I guess, you know, you know, looking at it from their perspective, you know, it gives them sort of a way to kind of get away from, I, mean, I guess, because, and I don't know, um, I'm, I'm just assuming if you're always in group with, pe- with the same people all the time, then you may not stretch as much. Like each group has a different dynamic, right? And so, you know, I would assume that it would be really good, you know, to go into a different group and and see someone else's issues and maybe you could help them with with their issues. Do you think that's why? I think so, but a lot of the women who come in, they're not, I noticed the older women may not feel comfortable sharing at a meeting or speaking up and raising their hand. Yeah. So the women in the house all take turns. They sign up and they all take turns running the meeting. Oh, I see. So they run the meeting. They choose what type of recovery meeting it's going to be. Mm-hmm. They, whether it's a book or speaker, whatever it is. So they run the meeting. And then at the end of the meeting, they have to sign everyone's slip to say Ah, they were there. Wow. So it's empowering them to take charge of their recovery Mm. of something that a a regular outside meeting may not have, Mm -hmm. but they find interesting and helpful. That's great. And so like they've done Ted talks, they've done zoom meetings, Mm -hmm. speaker meetings. They've done, they've read through books. And then at the end of a chapter, mm-hmm. they'll do the notes or whatever the assignment is right. after. Some of them have listened. They've been some who've never been exposed to celebrate recovery uh-huh. or smart recovery have now attended those type of meetings. So it's been good for them that they're they're being empowered to take responsibility for their recovery. Hmm. Because after they leave and no one's watching over them to say, you have to get your slip signed, Uh they still need to have that connection with the recovery community Mm. because that connection is what's going to help them to move forward and to stay sober. Right. That's a really, that's a really great point. I hadn't thought about, you know, different types of me. I, again, not knowing a lot about it. 
thought that all the meetings were the same. You know, hello, my name is so-and-so, I'm alcoholic, or I'm a drug addict, whatever. But, you know, I think having, you know, a book discussion or something like that is just, I mean, that is just great, you know, and it just shows that there's so much out there to live for and, and to get better for. And, you know, when, when women decide that they're ready to leave, what, what is that like? Um, have they found a place to live um, or they just say, you know, I, I'm done with this structured environment or, or how, what is that like? Well, it's different all the time. Yeah. So I've had, we've been, the sober house has been operating for almost four years. And in that four years, I can count on two hands how many women have given me the two weeks notice that we asked for yeah. when to move out. So we say, because we're trying to set women up for success. Yeah. Like when you get an apartment, you have to give first month's, last month's rent. You have to give a month's notice to leave. Right. This way it's preparing them mm -hmm. to be responsible. Right. Well, usually I'll get, and I've had, I've had a woman who's bought in a house when she's left us. Yes, she bought a house. She, we've had other women get their own apartments. Some women have gone and subsidized housing. Mm -hmm. Others have, uh, by the time they leave us, they're making enough money that they can get market value housing. Wow. So it all depends on the woman, on the woman. But usually it's, I get that phone call. Hi, Nicole, you wouldn't believe this. <laughs> I got this fantastic opportunity. Oh, no. it just fell in my lap. It's this apartment I wasn't even looking at. I was never looking for an apartment and it just popped up and I'm going to be moving. That's so wonderful. Let's talk about your plan. And oh, by the way, when are you going to be moving? Oh, my stuff is packed now. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can almost see where that's going to go, right? And it does every time. And the why I get that phone call the way I do is because, the, or I'll get a text. Right. A lot of times I'll get texts mm. because the women may subconsciously know they're making a terrible choice yeah. and they don't want to say it to me. Sure. Yeah. 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 So it's, they know deep down it's not because if it, if it was the right choice they'd be happy to share it to take the time to make sure everything is is organized the way it needs to be mm -hmm. and and even just you know now you've got an empty bed that you've got to fill right exactly we lose a lot of revenue that way yeah so how how is is Ruth's way for women funded how do you keep literally the roof over your head so the women who come in the house they pay to live there we get, uh, sometimes we get grants, we receive grants, we receive grants for scholarships to mm -hmm. offer scholarships to women who don't have any money. Yeah. So it gives them four weeks that they can save money before they, before they have to actually start paying. We're in a really great location for get well jobs. Okay. Which means they can get a job, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, Walmart, Target, mm -hmm. anything like that that's quick to get. Yep. Give them an opportunity to decide what they want to do with their future. Do they want to go to school? Do they want to get back into their old, um, their old position? Right. What they'd like to do. 
So it's always interesting uh, when you see women who just, who want to go to school and they want to mm. do something better, but they've never really had someone to encourage them and to love them unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Sometimes not even their parents yeah. to love them unconditionally and just say, I believe in you. Right. Right. You can do this. Let me help you. We've had people come in to talk about education, to get women on housing lists. Mm. I always try to suggest a woman a couple of weeks ago was going to look at an apartment. I said, oh, can I come and look, look right. at it with you? Right. To support her. And she mm -hmm. was shocked. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, because I tell them all the time, you're not supposed to live here forever. Right. Just, yeah. because, just while it serves your purpose. Yeah. That's, that's just so great because, you know, I can't imagine, you know, being in a place and saying, okay, you can only be here for three months and, you know, that's it. And then you, you've got to find someplace else. You've got to, you know, get your, your act together, basically, you know, in plain la language. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to do that. It's and impossible for women, um, not just women, men too, with trauma and drugs and alcohol due to the brain. Mm. It takes years for the brain to rewire itself, to carve out those new healthy pathways, to make those good decisions. It takes time. The women who do the best after they leave us are the women who stay the longest. Uh, if yeah. someone stays a month, they're not going to get anything. They're, they're so, they haven't worked on the pain, the suffering, what caused them to use, mm. to pick up in the first place. Right. How are you going to make good decisions when you can't even do a chore? Right, right. And what about their families? For those who do have families, um, is there any sort of family counseling that you do? Um, or, you know, are you approached by people who say, you know, my daughter is out of control and she needs help and how do I help her? So when I speak to a family member, I always remind the family member that this is the choices the family member is, the, the, Decisions that the person who suffers from substance use disorder, those are their decisions. Mm. You are powerless to make them do anything. Right. You have to take care of you. Mm. And the healthier you are, mm -hmm. and the healthy boundaries that you set up for yourself to keep yourself safe will help them to know healthy boundaries that they can and cannot cross mm. that will hurt you, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, I know, you know, from personal experience that, you know, the parents will feel guilt, right? There's something I should have done or something I shouldn't have done. And this is my child. So I'm, as a parent, you want to help as much as possible, but sometimes not helping and letting them help themselves is better. Is that right? Yes. And allowing them to go through their process. There's a fine line between loving someone and helping someone and in enabling somebody. Right. Right. It's a 
very fine line mm. and you never know when you're it's individual so you never know when you're really crossing it yeah until you start recognizing either positive or negative feedback from it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we have a woman right right now who whose mother wants her to go to another state uh, because she has a really good job opportunity there because the mother has a, a good opportunity no because the, 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 the person the woman in the yeah. house does and i had to have and the the woman does the mother doesn't know what she doesn't know right and right she's trying to make the best choices and help her daughter as much as she right can. but we had i was on the phone with her for an hour and a half mm. because she doesn't understand addiction yeah she doesn't understand trauma and the effects of trauma so for her it's all foreign and she's like well you know she has no drugs in her system now she can go and work there and it's like no 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 that's terrible she has no support there right the support systems are crucial are crucial but when you don't and when it doesn't personally affect you mm. or until it does you just don't oh, understand no. right it's it must be so heartbreaking it must be so heartbreaking um let's talk more about um because i want this to to talk about actually running the nonprofit and we've all had obstacles um to overcome in terms of getting our dreams off the ground um do you remember a really big obstacle that you had to overcome um and how did you overcome it one of the biggest obstacles um, was getting me out of the way. That <laughs> was the biggest obstacle right. I've ever faced. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes when you're doing something that's good and you see the benefit to the community and you see how it's going to help people, you expect everyone to jump on your bandwagon. Right. And that doesn't happen. Mm. So it was stop complaining and stop doing it. Yeah. yeah. Ask for help but don't expect, but expect to do the work yourself. Yeah. Right. And that took, that was a long process. And once I stopped complaining, mm. everything started moving forward. Right. Right. It's so difficult, um, you know, being a founder because um, I was on a strategic call with my board yesterday and, you know, it, it has taken me years to get to the point where mm. I can let go and say, you know, this is what I think is good for the organization and have other people say, I don't think so. Maybe you want to, maybe you want to think about something else and to receive that feedback. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you are the biggest obstacle in your way. And I think the founders that struggle with founder syndrome are the ones that can't see that. And they're like, no, it's my way or the highway. I started this. It's my blood, sweat and tears. And this is the way it's going to be. And um, I remember, you know, going from a board with friends and family to find <laughs> that's the worst <laughs> it is it's just like you think it's a good idea it sounds so good. i'll put my the people i trust the most on my board well that's really great but it's not going to get you anywhere and all they're going to do is say yeah you're great and they're not attached to the cause they're attached to you yeah. And once I figured that out, then I could move past. And now um, my board structure is now we're, we're, we're sticking hard and fast to term limits. 
which is another obstacle for me to get over because, you know, I've got some board members who have been on for like 10 years and I don't want them to go. Yes. But it's good for the organization for them to go. Mm-hmm. And they would stay on, but it's just, it's not good for anyone, you know? Um, what does your board look like now versus what it was like in the beginning? Well, my board in the beginning <laughs> was a woman that I met through the Saugus Faith community. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was in school to be a minister. And a friend of mine that she and I for probably three or four years just sat there and complained how nobody was helping us. Yeah. <laughs> that was my board. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, you know, one person fell off and I, I invited probably 20 women to the mm-hmm. house. And I said, this is, you know, would you want to be on the board? I wanted a big board because right. I thought the larger the board, the more we were going to grow. Right, and that's right. not true. Either. Yeah. I had 10 women on the board who all they did was give me assignments to do. do. Right. Right. So it was, it was, ter- it was terrible now. I can see yeah. how terrible it was. But the past three or four years, I'm trying to think right now, I've had the most amazing women on our board who have really helped us to move forward. They have a vision. They have the cause in their heart. They want to help women. They, they bring in donations. Yeah. And, you know, and not on purpose, we have a very diverse hmm. board. Wow. And I didn't realize that until I was... Um, someone was interviewing me for something yeah. and they said, oh, well, you're not a Wonder Bread. <laughs> you don't have a Wonder Bread board. Lord, right. And I said, what, what does that <laughs> even mean? Like, yeah. yeah. It didn't make sense to me. And I was like, no, I have a bunch of wonderful women on my board. Right. Yeah. What question I have for you. What does the future look like for Ruth's way? So funny you asked that. <laughs> um, well, we've in the past couple of years have incorporated recovery coaching into what we do. I'm also teaching a lot uh, life skills to different women, in, incarcerated women, women in different programs. I've also been conducting trainings for staff members for different organizations who may have a skill set and say trauma or or um, human trafficking, but not so much in substance use disorder. So I've been doing a lot of studying and trainings to make it more well-rounded. And the Lord's been leading us. I'm not sure how it quite looks, what it looks like just yet, but the Lord's been leading us to do more with women who are survivors of human trafficking. Really? Yeah. So just trying to do what we can yeah. And just be obedient. You have been listening to Pivot Point, Success is a Journey, hosted by Liz Hart, founder and executive director of Tailored for Success. Today's podcast contained an interview with Nicole O'Brien, founder of Ruth's Way for Women in Lynn, Massachusetts. Ruth's Way for Women is a sober home that provides homeless women, women veterans, and women recovering from substance abuse with a secure, safe, 
family structured environment. Here's a quote I'd like to leave you with. Don't hate the addict, hate the disease. Don't hate the person, hate the behavior. It's hard to watch it. Imagine how hard it must be to live it. In the United States, we lose over 144 people a day to drug overdose, and that number continues to climb. If you or someone you know are struggling, you are not alone. Reach out for help, it is available. If you are concerned that a loved one is struggling, reach out to them to offer help. Addiction is treatable and recovery happens. I have listed resources in the show notes and remember, in Massachusetts, we are lucky to have Roots Way for Women. If you found value in today's podcast, remember we do not run ads. All we ask is that you share it with your networks or leave a review. This will help to boost our ratings. Lastly, please subscribe so you will get notification when a new podcast is launched. Again, thank you for listening to Pivot Point. Success is a journey.